Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking Angular on Google Cloud. So we're heading to the cloud. Should be pretty cool. And let's say hi to our panelists and we'll meet our guests. Uh, joining us today, we've got Mike Brocky. Mike, what's going on? Uh, not too much. Uh, just uh, getting ready for this little, quiet, intimate chat here. Yes, it's very. It's a, we're, we're kicking off fall, right? Didn't wasn't it like the first day of fall the other day, yesterday, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's, which is odd. Uh, it's, you you brought it up, so I'll mention that from the transition from spring or from summer into fall, my daughter was like, woke up on the first day of fall and says, "Why aren't all the trees change color? It's fall now. Like like it should happen just in an instant." But coincidentally, the temperature from, uh, what was it, Friday into Saturday, uh, the temperature dropped like 20 degrees. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's crazy. Like they, she just expected like Thanos to snap his fingers and all the leaves fall off. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, kill half the trees, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I'm out here in California, it's always sunny in California, so I don't even know if we're gonna have fall, winter, or whatnot, but we'll see. All right, joining us as guest today, uh, we've got Jeff Welkley. Jeff, what's going on? Not too much. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing great. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, doing well. Doing well. I, I am enjoying the fall, just like Brocky. And it's actually the best time of the year in Boston because it's the right temperature. Like it's not too hot, not too cold. There's there's literally like three weeks a year where it's like perfect to be in Boston. And uh, next week, and then for the next like couple weeks, we are are in that sort of golden zone, especially when the leaves start turning. Uh, it's just an amazing sightseeing, and, and there's a lot of festivals and other fun things on the weekends. So it's a great time to be in Boston. I feel like Boston's maybe marketed as like fall. Like I don't know. I've never been to Boston, uh, but like my vision of it when I close my eyes and think about it is exactly what you just described. Like this moment right now. I don't know. So maybe maybe it's a good PR that they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I think I think so. I, I mean, definitely, it's not just uh, for people visiting or whatever, the people that are here for some reason are in a good mood. Uh, you, you, you drink a lot of pumpkin uh, juice and uh, the other thing is like fried apple donuts, um, which are really, really good. That sounds pretty tasty actually. But to be honest, we're virtual. We could like, you know, if we were <laughs> have like fried apple donuts morning and- you know, I'll send you guys some. I'm, I'm ready to scrap this whole uh, chat that we had planned just continue talking about fall and apples and pumpkins and sweatshirts uh, and yeah well yeah it, that this brings up a good point let's do a halloween episode all get make sure we dress up when we come to the to the hangout and also bring your pumpkin carved and whoever has the best carving will win something Wow, I, I like that. So not only are we getting dressed up, but we're also carving pop, pumpkins and having a pro Okay, all right. We should do that. Let's do that. I appreciate, I appreciate the commitment to that idea. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> don't, don't just go small and say, like, no, just take a, bring a picture of your favorite costume, but actually dress up and do all these other things. I like it. Wait, the thing, I, all right, now we're like really digressing too much. But just the last thing I'll say on this before we like down the subject is that Halloween has always been like one of my favorites because it's the only holiday where you're almost always in the office, assuming that it's during the week or whatever. Every other holiday is like a day off or whatever. So, uh, you know, at various places I've worked, they've been differing degrees of really into Halloween, like dress, not only getting dressed up, but also dressing up their workspaces and that type of thing. So just a lot of like good memories of uh, very interesting things uh, in the past, like my my kids know I, one year I decided to just shave my head, like literally shave my head, not to put a bald cap on. I, I just like a couple days before I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I just took out a razor while they were in the tub and I just uh, took everything off and I was the Grim Reaper. And uh, that, that was a pretty good year. All right. That, that's commitment right there. I mean, I, I decided <laughs> to shave my head every few days. But, I mean, it's not for Halloween. So <laughs> all right, cool. All right. Well, uh, Google Cloud, what uh uh, let's get into it. Yeah, I, I mean, this so this topic came up, and I, I suggest this because I think it, I mean, let me throw this out to you, you guys because if you're any, anything like me, I've always hated thinking about infrastructure. Like, I just want to build my Angular app and just not have to worry about that. Are you guys kind of the same way? 
Yeah, I'm happy to hand off that responsibility to someone else. Uh, <laughs> just let me focus on the code, focus on features, focus on getting uh, whatever needs to be implemented, implemented and given the best experience there. Uh, again, I've talked to a lot of people from working on the CLI of, I just know how to ng surf. I didn't even know there was an ng build. I've heard that from people uh, that it, just to be able to run things locally without having to worry about uh, getting things beyond your own machine. Yeah, for me, it's uh, I definitely have been doing like full stack and everything for a long time. And the the more I can get away from that stuff and focus on one thing, right, and then not worry about the other is uh, always always a plus because there's always so much stuff to know and learn, right? Especially we need to uh, implement all those things and all those different you know knowledge domains. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I agree with you guys, uh, or at least I, I used to. So I, I'm glad I got you guys to agree with me. But I actually have a completely different viewpoint now. So like, you, you're encompassing what I thought like six months ago, uh, or in, in the past, and I've like done a complete 180 since I've, uh, for for a variety of reasons, have gotten much more into going that extra, you know, going above um, the typical wall that you would stop at and learn really in depth, both uh, on the AWS side and GCP, Google Cloud, uh, you know, not only what they have, like how to, you know, properly uh, architect what Google Cloud refers to. I mean, I think other people do, but uh, refers to as cloud native apps, like meaning that you architect your app to fully leverage everything that is currently available in cloud uh, hosting and cloud source offerings. So it, it's a different mindset, and that's, I guess, today what I, I want to try to maybe, um, if anything, uh, hopefully you guys leave this uh, at least being aware of what is potentially out there that you weren't uh, before. Um, so the way that I, I normally think about this is like starting off like kind of the history of the cloud and DevOps and that type of thing. Um, so I, I think. You guys have, have uh, been do, were doing stuff for a while, but have were you ever have you guys ever had to physically touch like a server rack and like actually like either fix something that was broken or like uh, I don't know take a hammer and like whack the uh, the, the server to, to get it going again? Have you guys ever do, done anything like? Uh, I have, but I, I, I want to clarify something first. So when you're talking about utilizing all this uh, cloud infrastructure that's out there, um, are you still focusing on talking about uh, the mindset of being an Angular developer? Or are you then also migrating to the thought of, all right, implementing backends and how you architect your backend as well? Just to clarify for the audience of exactly what how we're talking about utilizing uh, this infrastructure. Well, I'm going to get really philosophical on you, Mike. What, what what is an Angular developer? What is a developer? <laughs> uh, pure basic. Uh, if we're going to go through this exercise, uh, somebody who writes code. Sure. <laughs> so we so we can start that raw level. And, and I guess what I would say is that I know that different people think of this in different ways, and and some people are fine with like the idea of a job where your your job is focused on doing one particular thing. Um, in, in the case that you're describing, I think the way that you're thinking about an Angular developer works on Angular, right? But I think the reality is that most people are not in that type of job. Like, they're, they're most of the time, people in the job where they are working on a product, trying to solve, I mean, the way it should be is that you are solving a problem for a customer, for you, one you know, set of users, and with a solution. It just happens to be that you're working on Angular, but more often than not, I mean, you guys have worked on a million different technologies before, right? Of course. Right. So it, it's, yes, uh, there is a focus on Angular, and uh, there's certain reasons why Google Cloud that I'll get to, why Google Cloud I think is particularly great for Angular developers. Um, but just to clarify, I, I, I've started to become more of the mindset that we all should start thinking of ourselves as product developers more than any particular technology. You, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, co I completely agree with you. I'm just trying to set the expectation and the mindset of people who yeah. may be watching and say, oh, wait, well, this is Angular. It just runs in the, well, predominantly runs in the browser. I mean, obviously, there's a universal aspect. Um, but the idea of, all right, we're maybe talking about something that is beyond uh, Angular specifics. And, and that's yeah. what we're doing. 
So, I mean, it, it depends on uh, how you guys want to run this. I, I, I think I have like a couple things in particular for Angular on GCP. Um, but also, I, I think that there's a lot that I've kind of thought about over the past six months going into this about just how you should kind of think about the cloud in general. You know what I mean? And GCP is? Google Cloud. <laughs> okay. Google Cloud Platform. That, it's like the abbreviation, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so what, what do you what do you guys want to dive into first? I guess. Well, when you talk about Google Cloud Platform, I mean, we're, are we talking similar to you know like Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure and stuff like that? So we're you know another one of those products. Yeah, I know that, that's a good point. So right now, uh, I actually have the list here. There is the top um, cloud infrastructure as a service. Um, Offerings so AWS obviously is like the number one. They have like uh, over fifty percent of the market share. Uh, Azure is actually number two, mostly because uh, you know for those of you guys that are into the Microsoft side of things, you know that they uh, kind of heavily leverage a lot of startups use Azure as much, um, but they have a lot of enterprise. So they have uh, like as of, this is these are numbers. I'm saying as of last year, 2017. Um, so they had 17% of the market. Amazingly, okay, here's a trivia question for you guys. Who do you think is number three? So AWS number one, Azure number two. Who's number three? Salesforce. So Salesforce is on the list, but they're further down. Mike, your turn. <laughs> oh, somebody, uh, man. Somebody, I saw chat uh, something pop up in the chat. I was like, hopefully somebody was guessing so I could steal it. Nah. I have no idea because outside of those three, that's just where my mind goes is uh, to evaluate those three, and I'm not sure beyond so that. So it's IBM Cloud. Uh, you know, very similar to Microsoft, they sort of get capture their own enterprise customers and have done a good job of converting them over to a cloud-based solution, and then uh, Google Cloud Four. But um, over the past year, year and a half. Google Cloud has far outpaced all the other three in terms of growth. They, they are growing like crazy. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, um, you know, even though the, the GCP Google Cloud has been around for a while now, starting with, you know, uh, App Engine was like one of their oldest offerings back in, I think it was like 2010 or something like that. Um, but they really have only put like major, major resources behind it in, in more recent years and kind of gotten um, both the breadth of their offerings because, you know, in order to get people, especially enterprise and, and startups at the same time, you have to have like a wide variety of different offerings, both like more lower level and kind of like higher level. Um, so it's taken a while for them to kind of like gather all the different levels of offerings and like make the UI and, and kind of developer experience good enough that they're on par. Um, but these, these past, you know, let's say two years, uh, they have been really killing it and the uh, kind of future looks bright. So like I would anticipate, well, Azure and IBM cloud um, kind of like had an early like jump, uh, at least from what I'm seeing, like I'm not sure if they're going to be able to keep it up. And uh, I think that GCP will overtake them at the very least. I don't know if they'll ever get up to AWS uh, because they have such a huge lead and, and they are, AWS is a great platform or whatever. Real quick, because you mentioned the idea of um, scaling up their options and their offerings, and I want to clarify whether or not, because that means two different things to me, uh, the scalability of their offerings. So one is like the breadth of how many different things are they offering, whether or not it's all the way something from just offering up uh, essentially like serverless or essentially like cloud functions all the way through uh, virtual machines. Because I think that's kind of like the smallest to the biggest and filling that gap, or is it the tiers of are just a super tiny processor with no memory to like seventy five different cores with seventy five terabytes worth of uh, memory? Um, so, I w which way were you talking, or were you just talking about both in general? No, no. I, I so I was talking about the more so the breadth. Like they've always had kind of compute offerings, and in some ways, I, I feel like their offering at like kind of um, a lower level was maybe even superior to AWS, even um, further back. Uh, but not as many people could jump on because 
I think now most cloud providers have realized is that people are coming from so many different angles. Um, and, and we'll talk more so from like the angle of the front end developer in this kind of podcast. But, uh, you know, depending on what technology you use, where your services are right now, what dependencies you have, you have different requirements. And there's a lot that has to go into having like all those pieces there in order to make an easy transition to um, you know, onboarding a new um, customer. So I, I think that uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of go over is you know, explaining why I think, especially to, for an Angular developer, uh, GCP is an awesome platform. And, and this isn't when I kind of like say, there's five things that I sort of listed down. And it's not like these are, AWS doesn't have some of this stuff. And I'll, I'll talk about the comparison. I, I, mostly, I'm going to compare uh, Google Cloud and AWS when I talk about these things because it's what I know the, the most, and I think what most people are familiar with AWS. Um, and so it's not that AWS doesn't have these things, but just me personally, after using both of them, I think GCP has an advantage. Uh, so the first one is has to do actually with what we just talked about of like these breadth of offerings, and even though both have the kind of spectrum, like from more managed services and like where you do less and, and don't have to worry about it to kind of lower level services where you actually just get like a raw VM and, or, or for some of the other offerings, like you have to just do more work, but it's more flexible. I, I feel that GCP has done a much better job of, of having some of those tiers. And in particular for the Angular developer, for the people who generally don't want to deal with infrastructure. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Google Cloud bought Firebase. So Firebase started off as just kind of the real-time database. And I know, I'm sure, as most of the people listening uh, has had some sort of experience with Firebase, it's super easy to connect the Angular app to. It's super easy for the front end to have this kind of real-time um, database. And since Google bought Firebase, they've sort of expanded out to a suite of offerings all geared towards the same user. All toward, it, one of the things that took me a while to understand is that in the Firebase suite of, of products like you know, Firestore, let's say, uh, I, I didn't quite understand why some of their offerings are like so similar to other things within GCP. I was like, why do you have the same thing? You know, like it's both under a Google Cloud. But then I, I, I realized at one point that it's because things are geared towards different users, different potential customers. And Firebase clearly is geared toward the Angular developer, the, the front-end developer who doesn't want to deal with infrastructure. And so they make the API much simpler. They make uh, a lot more that they do for you that you don't have to worry about and that type of thing. And so even within Firebase, I, and I'm sure some people use some of their services. I'm not sure if uh, necessarily you might not even fully appreciate all they have to, to offer because, you know, just as an example, the the pricing for Firebase is so much better than anything equivalent on AWS or any of the other cloud platforms. Uh, so like, it's basically free for any non-production app, like until until you get to a certain scale, and you just don't see that. Anywhere, like I, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've been using, you know, free Firebase databases, and, and there are kind of um, different offerings for so many of my apps uh, getting started, and it's amazing not having to like pay for any until it actually starts getting at scale. I'm sure you guys do the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's even down even like lower when you start talking about like hosting your app and things like that. The things that you can configure, like redirects for URLs and things like that. Like you can do all that stuff within your Firebase project, um, which is, you know, it's just bringing all that stuff under one roof and becomes pretty powerful, but yeah. simple to do, right? Or, or real straightforward to do. Yeah, the hosting, the, the auth. I mean, the, the, the Firebase auth solution is awesome. And for a lot of people, it's free. It's crazy. Uh, and, and Firestore, for those people that don't, realize it's, and this is one of the things that took me a while to kind of like understand what was going on there, uh, that, so basically they took one of the, uh, a really good NoSQL database, the basically equivalent of Mongo within Google Cloud called Datastore, 
And they basically took that and then they built on top of it and added the traditional Firebase real-time features into uh, data store. So you have like I, this amazing database that is globally available, which by the way, uh, that is, uh, you know, not easy to pull off from it. If, if you tried to do that yourself, uh, it is, that alone is, is very difficult, but much real quick, globally available. Just to mention that real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So like in AWS, if you set up a database, everything by the default is regional. So like it's, it's, it's actually like uh, physically obviously somewhere, but like even virtually you're in one region of the world. So you're in like North America is a region, or I think either North America or US or whatever like is, is a region. But if you want, for example, that database to be uh, very quickly, um, the reads to be very quick in Europe, typically you have to set up like read replicas to a, uh, another region and or uh, depending on what the database is and that type of thing. Uh, there's basically hoops you have to kind of like jump through in order to make it performant and uh, available and that type of thing. Whereas with the, uh, Google, they've done a much better job of having a number of services. So Firebase, you know, being uh, the Firebase offerings, number one, but also even other GCP offerings. And that endpoint, they underneath the scenes uh, do all the replication cross region all around the world, uh, make sure that it, it automatically scales, uh, make sure that, that performance is equal regardless of where you're coming from. Like there's a lot of stuff underneath the scenes that to be honest, I never realized and most people probably don't, but it is a huge advantage in my opinion. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I think that that's one of those things when people dive in, at least I know when I start diving into the cloud and, and figuring this stuff out, you're kind of one of the big things that you're confronted with as you configure things and going through is always this region thing that pops up and you're like, okay, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? So I think it's like one of those kind of key aspects to going into this world of the cloud-based stuff is kind of an understanding of, well, what does that mean? How does that play in? Because it, pl it really plays in everywhere, I think, in terms of all these services and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so that was the those first one. So Firebase, all those offerings, great. Uh, the second thing is that, you know, something that I have talked to a bunch of people about, you know, is it's great that these different cloud providers, including GCP, have all these different services, but what happens if you are, are you too, ever too tied to one particular platform? And does that make it like, so you can't move to something else. And I, in a more general sense, that's, that's always a concern whenever you're using some other dependency. But I think that the way that GCP has like a really nice approach, besides the fact that you can always, just within your application, it's a good idea to build your application in such a way that like it's uh, any depend dependencies on the, the platform should be kind of a thin layer on top of whatever you're doing. Like if you're doing a Lambda function, it always makes sense to build just like a, a service that you can run from the command line independent of, of Lambda and that uh, Lambda or um, the Google Cloud functions is just kind of like a small layer on top of how it runs. But besides all that, it also helps that Google has done, uh, made open source a first-class citizen. And I mean, everyone here knows that in general because of the Angular project, among other things, right? Like, they, they've always had, a, or at least certain parts within Google, probably not everybody, have a sense that there's benefit to doing things open source, to making things easier to developers and that type of thing. But for cloud offerings, it's interesting because when you have the core technology for a cloud offering is open source, it inherently makes it easy for people to switch. So just as an example, the main technology used to, to manage Docker instances in Google Cloud is Kubernetes. And so they use Kubernetes, it's called Google Kubernetes Engine for their Docker managed service. And the great thing about using Kubernetes is that if you build your stuff, you will have some configuration and some level of scripts and that type of thing you use with Kubernetes, but you can use Kubernetes in other cloud environments as well because it is open source because other cloud providers provide support for that as well. But Google is like the main um, contributor to it. So like they, uh, I feel like always are a step ahead of everyone else in terms of like how well they support. So like, and there's tons of other examples. The, um, a lot of the Adobe projects 
are, are the underlying technologies for some of their kind of data management services um, and a, lo a lot of uh, other things along those lines. But uh, it's, it's something that I found, you know, I, I always feel weird about uh, using another service like, like AWS might offer some uh, service for machine learning or something like that. But then if I have to pollute all my code with like AWS specific stuff, then I always feel like, oh, now like I, I've, I've, you know, tied myself to this service forever. And that just isn't the case with Google. So I, I think that's like another kind of huge advantage, which I think is in line with most Google, uh, Angular developers thinking because we are you know, working on an open source project um, in our normal day-to-day -day activities, right? Which, which to me, I, I find this uh, fascinating and interesting at the same time, uh, just with the timing of the idea of uh, providing that thin layer, that abstraction uh, within your application so that you're not directly tied with anything. But in my research, and I may be wrong and I may be outdated, um, I didn't find anything from any other provider that supported like the real-time aspect and that uh, Firebase provides. I feel like Firebase may be like the outlier from there that there wasn't any parallels to, to be able to say, hey, I'm going to put that into there. And all I have to do is worry about pushing that in. And then all my clients update because they are essentially subscribed and listen to those uh, that data structure or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. They, not everything is open source and, and protocol, and uh, that's a good example of one. The, the open source, offered. what's that? Or even offered, because like I said, I don't think uh, from Microsoft's or uh, Amazon's or anybody's to be able to find something. I mean, I've, I've heard of a few out there, uh, but smaller, not to the scale of what uh, Firebase is able to provide. Yeah, I'm not sure. What, that's uh, something I haven't thought a lot about, but you're right. There, There is... They could do it if they wanted to, because there is like Socket.io and other stuff, right? That they could oh, of do something off of that. But maybe there's some technical reasons why that is. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's a good good point. So for the open source stuff, would you say that that then lends itself to the scenario where you want one might think and sit there and go, okay, you know, like you're talking about this proprietary things in terms of connecting to things and stuff. One of the things I think people businesses think about is what happens if I can't connect to the cloud at that time and I'm mm. integrated with it? Like, how do I have an on-prem type of solution that I can either fall back to or, or whatnot? And it seems to me like something, what you're talking about may lend itself easier to that because if they're leveraging these open source services, then possibly I could run those same services, those same offerings locally and be able to make that transition if need be and not locked into you know, something like that. Does that, does that play into that? No, I, I think it does, and there's like an addition to what you said because you're, you're thinking about it in terms of like as a backup or whatever, but Google has kind of taken it a step further that they've realized for the enterprise more so than startups. For the enterprise, they have an existing fleet of physical servers like in their basement or whatever, and, and they're, used, they're coming from the world where they already have stuff locally and you know, I think in general, most businesses are now like understanding that they it makes sense to move stuff to the cloud, but it takes time and whatever. Uh, I think what they've realized is that the easier they can make it to have these hybrid environments, so like partially on-prem, partially in the cloud, the quicker people will be to adopt using Google Cloud. And so they come up with a number of services geared towards specifically making it easier, not just open source stuff, but they have this thing called interconnect, which essentially is a way of making your, you know, creating a, a, a VPC that encompasses both, uh, VPC, a virtual private cloud, which encompasses both what you have in Google Cloud as well as your on-premises servers, in, and basically makes it faster, the communication between it, right? Um, and, which is like a huge advantage. And then also for something like Kubernetes, they just created an offering called uh, GKE on-prem, which is essentially, uh, you know, so Kubernetes itself is, uh, is open source and you can use it on your local servers, but Google Kubernetes engine has like some other management stuff on top of it, but they've even gone as far as to make that management stuff so you can run it on-premises as well. And that makes it like totally seamless so that you can basically, from one, one dashboard, which is, this is the key thing and, and what people love, 
is that from one um, dashboard in your Google Cloud Console, you can see all of your instances, even if they're on-premises or, and, and I, I um, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure, I haven't tried this out, but I'm pretty sure it also works that if it's on AWS as well. So like, even though you're in your Google Cloud Console, you're seeing stuff on AWS as well. I know, I know actually you can, you can definitely do that with um, the other monitoring service like Stackdriver is the big monitoring service on Google Cloud, and that works like every cloud you know, all over the place as well. Yeah, I think that's a real key element here with this scenario, because when we talk about um, from a developer standpoint, right, and our day-to-day -day jobs as, as building these product solutions, like you mentioned, um, you know, we're impacted by this, right? We're impacted by the connectivity of the data sources, of how we run our thing, when we run it through testing and, and EDUE and all this stuff, right? And, and these things just impact our happiness as we develop, you know, our productivity, <laughs> those sort of things, right? Um, our levels of frustration and things. And so there's that part that needs to kind of get solved in order to keep that ship kind of running in a positive direction. And, and you know, these are things I think, I mean, when, when I explore the cloud stuff and things like that, it's kind of things that come to mind in terms of what do these offerings have? Like, how am I going to be able to solve these scenarios from a developer standpoint, right? Yep, definitely. Definitely. Speaking about I love about uh, GCP is developer experience that like, so this touches on some things that we talked about before, but, uh, but also some other things where I feel like Google Cloud is from some perspectives a latecomer in comparison to AWS to the cloud services game. I mean, in reality, they've had their services for a while, but, but later in terms of when they've kind of like really put a lot of their muscle behind it. And I think that it seems like they've learned a lot in terms of how to best service developers and the people that are building products. Some of the stuff I talked about with Firebase or these globally available services. But then there's all these like little things as well. Like I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Right? But there's a lot of these like little things throughout it. All right. So in AWS, you guys both use AWS, right, Mike? Yes. Um, I'm kind of agnostic a little bit from this. Um, only because I've spent a lot of my recent experiences uh, just working in Node, just working on the CLI. So there okay. really was no cloud. It was just, hey, just work locally. Uh, but getting back into things, uh, I'm going to get more involved with uh, that, with hands-on experience. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But if uh, most of the time on the AWS side, if you work with most of the things there, you need to have like a local SSH key. You guys are aware of this, like to in order to like connect to the, the CLI and and connect to different machines or whatever. And I don't know about you, but this has always been kind of a pain for, for me, especially with, with new developers. And like, I, I don't know, it, it's a little thing, but it's always been this kind of needling pain point. And Google has done a great job of like, first, if you want to connect from your local machine, they do like this OAuth thing. I don't quite know how it works, like how OAuth from the command line works, but they make it work, which is pretty cool, uh, that you don't have to actually store the SSH keys locally. But then beyond that, they have like a really good cloud console where most of the stuff that you would normally do from your like local terminal, you basically can do from the actual Google console. You, you can get like a command prompt within the web interface and do anything you want to do. And, and the advantage there is that you don't have to worry. I mean, you could do it from like any sort of, you know, Google Chromebook or whatever else. And you don't have to worry about local keys or anything. And I've just found that extremely useful. Um, another good example is that they do live migration of VMs. Again, these are like all little, little examples, but they kind of showcase like where, how they've like made these like really good decisions. Right now on AWS, if you want to, let's say, upgrade your OS, for example, you have to take those instances out of service, uh, you know, reboot them, or, or usually, usually I spin up new instances and delete the old ones or whatever. But Google allows you to just say like update and it just does everything behind the scenes. And like, that's really the way it should be. I mean, right. Like that, that type of stuff, it just makes sense. Like you don't, why do you have to deal with like shutting it down and restarting it and whatever? Like it, it's a totally like straightforward process. And uh, so like, that's like a little thing, but like I've actually used that and appreciated that over the past like couple months. Um, and then the other thing is uh, for stuff sort of related to the global security uh, or global offerings or whatever is, is security that by default, 
everything within Google is encrypted, end-to-end -end and at rest. And this is different than AWS. So AWS, it is not by default. And if you want to, if you have certain requirements to do that, uh, you, you actually have to jump through a bunch of hoops. Like you have to you know, set up S3 server-side encryption, and you have to use a disk volume that it has a certain level of encryption, manage your own keys. You have to set up like SSL endpoints. I mean, it's stuff that's not like rocket science, but it's kind of a pain. Uh, whereas Google saves the standpoint of like, why bother with that? Like, who cares if we just encrypt everything as long as it's like fast, like nobody should complain about that and nobody does. And so they just do it. Uh, so that, you know, again, it's, it's just like a couple examples and there's a, probably a, another dozen that I haven't mentioned, but does that make sense from like these little kind of like developer nice things? It, it's interesting that you mentioned nice. I recently, and this is a little sidebar, but uh, to the same point, that there was a commercial for some sort of a health bar or something like that. And the difference between kind and nice. Sure, it'd be nice <laughs> to do that, but you know what? It's kind to just do it for you no matter what. So I mean, just that a little description, that little tweak. Uh, sure, you could do that, but you know what? Just go ahead and we'll do that for you is the nice little like, it just makes sense to just go ahead and just do it. I like that aspect as well. Yeah, I think like these are those things that as we go and we say like we're, we're already in this other domain doing all this stuff, figuring out and learning all these things. Now we go and try and you know implement this other piece. Like how far, how deep down the rabbit hole do we have to go to really be proficient at it, right? And it's like, look, I, we don't have the time to do everything. So the things that we can get done automatically and make that transition easier, make that entry to that domain easier, uh, obviously is the better. Uh, scenario for us, provided that, you know, we're still able to learn enough that we can, you know, do things in the right way and protect and all that stuff. Right. But yeah. yeah I mean, just, I, I think that's a great point. And, and in fact, I, I think I, I wasn't thinking about this before, but I, I would go so far as to say that on GCP, much more so than AWS doing DevOps isn't as much security and networking, which is like that, that that's typically like a very, central like DevOps type functionality, but you don't have to do it as much because they do much better job of having like defaults that just make sense and you know you utilize managed services. And really at the end of the day, you know, obviously if you use like the higher level managed services, you don't have to do anything, you know, for deployment and scaling or whatever. But even if you do want to do them, it, it really comes down to you know, okay, you have to learn some of their uh, cloud deployment scripting, um, you know, or and that is a little bit of a learning curve, definitely. But you don't have to do that. that I guess that's the key, key point. Like, and most of the time, people don't. Most of the time, you start off with the managed services, the stuff like that they do for you. And then if it doesn't meet your needs for some reason, then you kind of like dip down a level to um, you know, something that's more complicated or whatever, but gives you more control. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And to, to the idea of like what you were talking about of the end-to-end -end encryption and just encrypted everything by default uh, from working on tooling, um, that there's a balance you need to find between making everything configurable to, again, what you said, sensible defaults that having just do what makes sense for the majority, but at the same time still offering up the ability to get the control that you need to change the things that you may need to change. But in terms of like uh, you mentioned the idea of similarities is the point of one versus the other. Um, and after just having Dan Walleen on to talk about Docker is that Docker kind of comes down to like, you know what, this is uh, the base level of where we're going to talk about. Here's your common infrastructure, no matter where you're going to deploy, whether or not it's internal, external, uh, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, IBM, wherever, that Docker is that common language of. Hey, here's that container. No, no, we don't have to talk about details inside of that. If it'll run within your container, it'll run wherever. Um, that I think that really has helped out with the whole idea of hosting and uh, cloud platforms to say, you know what? We don't have to get into the uh, version numbers or anything else, but just uh, to the container levels, I think a big advancement. Yeah, one thing that uh, Google just, I forget when they came out with this, but relatively recently, they've, gone beyond offering the Google Container Engine, which you know that, that's where you have like full control and can define your clusters and how and where it's deployed and whatever. But they've sort of taken Docker, the power of Docker, and enhanced their other existing services. 
So for example, with their managed offering, which is Google App Engine, um, which you know basically it's the type of thing that you just point to your app, you know, deploy your code, and then it handles like scaling and all that type of stuff. But one of the downsides with traditional Google App Engine is that it's a limited number of types of environments that you can use. So you kind of like have to use a certain version of Node, which I think like goes up to like Node 8 or something like that, and a certain you know OS and like all that type of stuff, like it's kind of locked down. However, they then came out with the ability to define your own Docker instance and use it as the container for App Engine. So it's all the benefits of App Engine with you being able to customize the actual container, which is like the best of both worlds. It's great. And so App Engine used to be this, like almost like the proprietary scenario. Would that uh -huh. be correct, right? And so that what you're saying is like now. The man managed is a better uh, term, like that, that you don't have to think about deploying it to region X or region Y, or you don't have to care about specific instances. You just deploy code and it manages based off of load, like how many servers it goes to and that type of thing. Cool. So like from a developer standpoint, would you say like the entry would be thinking about in terms of like Mike mentioned with Docker and, and we're building our Angular apps or, or whatever mix of, of Angular and whatnot, and we're focusing on putting it in, into containers and then we're thinking about deploying it to the cloud in that sense and maybe leveraging some, you know, Firebase alongside that and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Start with managed services that, that there should be no worry. Like you shouldn't feel a need to get too overly complex. It, it does such a good job of defining the defaults and scaling too quickly. I, I think one one quick thing that is important to point out as far as Angular apps go is that, so you have client-only apps and then apps that are you know, server-rendered apps. Um, so for client-only apps, it makes sense to just use uh, Firebase storage to, and Firebase hosting rather, to deploy out your static assets and then kind of like serve up your client app from there. And, you could do everything in Firebase. If you do need to have some, either at the API level or if you're using Angular Universal and, and kind of the server uh, re-rendering, it is possible to have your Firebase host point to Firebase Cloud Functions. However, with server, one thing I think that's been a common point of, of confusion uh, from the people that I've, I've talked to or whatever is, not understanding that the purpose of Cloud Functions is to perform asynchronous activity. By definition, where you don't need to have a, a particular response time SLA, like not, where you don't need it to respond quickly. Uh, if you need something to respond quickly, like immediately, Cloud Functions is not what you should be doing. Uh, and there's all sorts of really good use cases for Cloud Functions of, of different asynchronous activity and, and a lot of great things you could use it for. So the, the alternative that, you know, the, the slight tweak from the way people might be thinking about it is to still deploy your static assets to Firebase um, hosting, but have it point instead of Cloud Functions to App Engine. So deploy your actual Angular Universal app or, you know, whatever else you're, you're doing for your server view, the generation of server view to App Engine. And that's like the managed offering um, that is, you know, it's not within the, the Firebase umbrella, but it still very easily integrates with all of the other Firebase stuff. Does that make sense? Yep, I think so. Cool, cool. Um, so there were two, two other things from my list of like five great things about uh, GCP. Um, so the fourth thing is the network. And th this is one thing that like I, almost hesitate to put this in there, but I, I feel like it needs to be said, even though it's like debatable whether this is marketing material or how much is true or whatever. But the, the, at least the way that it is framed is that Google has been using the underlying network used for GCP from their beginning. It's, it's a completely private network that doesn't go over any um, open internet like physical lines, like they, they literally have physical cables of their own, just Google's cables under under the ocean, around the world, and they those, 
when you have a service that's communicating within the GCP umbrella, it never leaves those private cables. And that is different than AWS. AWS, it does cross over at various points. And those are, you know, it, most of the time it's fine, but um, there is opportunity for issues to occur at times. It's just like one of these things of probably like a, a millionth of a percentage point, but like it does provide some extra level of stability and performance and that type of thing. They also have more data centers than AWS. Um, allows allows them, especially for like things like edge caching, uh, so that they, the Google CDN stuff that's like uh, right at the final last mile to users, uh, theoretically at least, it, it should be faster in certain use cases. Um, and uh, there's this the security thing that they always tout, uh, you know, with their network. This is the exact same thing that's being used for all other Google apps, uh, and so they they have you know right. From the beginning, made sure you know performance and security were you know, major uh, front of mind. Um, so that's just a thing. Just to, I mean, take that for what you will, or whatever. But the thing that's probably more the fifth thing is probably more uh, understandable and, and digestible or whatever, which is pricing. That pound for pound, Google Cloud is cheaper. I mean, it's just, it just is. Like they, so, and it's cheaper in a number of different ways. So from raw compute power, uh, if you have the equivalent thing, I mean, maybe not every situation, but in most of the scenarios that I've, I've seen, it, it ends up being cheaper. But also, there are like all these other little things that Google Cloud does. And, and this is sort of related to like um, some of their kind of developer experience, you know, improved developer experience thing too. Because like, for example, have you guys, uh, you know, for AWS, you can pay upfront for dedicated instances, right? And that is something that is cheaper. Like technically, if you pay for an M3 EC2 instance on AWS, you can get like a 50% savings or something like that. And, and essentially, you pay for it all upfront for like a year or something along those lines. For Google Cloud, what they did is said, like, okay, we'll give you the same benefit, but you actually don't have to pay us up front. They do this sustained discount. And it basically means just simply by continuing to use something for an extended period of time, you will get the discount. Uh, and that is, like, way, way better. <laughs> you don't have to actually – you get the same, same money, but just don't have to pay for it up front. Uh, just makes a lot more sense. It's a cash flow solution, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Which in business hey. terms is important. Right. Um, and, and it's in a similar way, they have in AWS spot instances. Uh, so that that's something where you bid against other people for time on a machine, and it's only if it's available and if you outbid somebody, and it's like a huge, huge discount. Like that's the whole reason why you do these like bidding for spot instances. Uh, so it, it's really useful for like batch processes that just need to get done at some point during the day. Again, Google gives you the very same or very similar discount by not ha forcing you to do bidding, which is totally annoying. I don't know. Like, uh, Wait, so there's like this underground, like eBay sort of like hotel booking type of scenario that goes on there where people can bid and, and get these cheap. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, well, so there's two different things. Wait, wait, wait. So, so there's two different things I should say. So there's there's spot instances, which yes, like uh, you you bid on it, and, and and that's like part of the AWS platform. You bid on it, and then if you once you outbid it, you get a certain amount of time on that machine, and then it goes away. And and again, it's used for these like batch programs that you just need to run at some point during the day or whatever. Um, but there's also just on that point for dedicated instances, there's a whole secondary market. I don't know if you've seen this. So like, there's people who buy huge amounts of, of dedicated instances where they get like, let's say 50% off, and then they sell it back to people for 25% off, they take a 25% cut um, for a smaller time period. It's like a whole triage game, it's like crazy. Wow. Yeah, I think there's too much information. But the, the, the point is that instead of spot instances, they do preemptible instances, uh, which is again, same functionality, Slightly different characteristics, but just you don't have to bid on them. So, point is, uh, pricing on Google Cloud is a huge strength, and, and that's actually not even to mention 
the free tiers. We mentioned Firebase free tiers, but actually a lot of the other services also have like really great you know free tiers. So all cool stuff. Nice, nice. That's the list of five. Yes, yes. All right, you're convincing me. I'm, I'm getting convinced. <laughs> yeah. Well, what doubts do you guys have? I realize that I have to take my stuff to the cloud. Um, running just locally, I'm not going to make any money with any business just running locally. That is true. The cloud is awesome. Yeah, I think it's always a challenge, right, to architect everything and, and you know go through the process of figuring out those strategies and when you do what where, right? I mean, we mentioned like Firebase and the, the fact that you can run your apps in Firebase and, and host them and stuff like that, right? But I could also Dockerize them and, and run them locally or somewhere else or on the Google Cloud and the App Engine, right? Um, and so how do I choose that, right? Which What's the preference on there? And and just down the list, like those are all the things that become challenging, right? They, they spider out and you start thinking, well, how do I, and you start getting into this nest of going, okay, how do I do this now so I can go to market right now? And then how do I prepare myself for the future to protect for growth and all these other things that you're predicting and you want to control? And, and uh, I think all those things kind of unfold and, and make it challenging. Um, but I think one of the big keys there is how easy is it to just get up and running right now, like to kind of get going right now and kind of defer some of that stuff or, or, or get into it easier. And it sounds like there's some elements here that, that they've learned from these other offerings that have been around for a while and said, how can we improve on that and, and make that easier for a developer standpoint, for people coming into to doing this DevOps stuff, or this network stuff all together and get you in there and going and, and reduce some of the things that you have to worry about um, to maybe make that easier to, to get going, right? Yeah, and I, I think in general, it's a good point. I mean, there, there's definitely a line you have to draw. You could go crazy. <laughs> You're learning all sorts of stuff and building a crystal palace, and that's that's generally not not a good idea. I do think it makes sense, the Docker thing. Like that, there's, it's not a huge hurdle. Most of the time, look, most, I would say, a large majority of the people who deploy their stuff out in Docker don't actually understand Docker to begin with. They like copy the Docker file from somebody else, and that's totally fine in my opinion. Like I, I don't think it's a big deal to essentially not know quite what's going on there, but just it works. And I would start with that, and then kind of like, okay, something isn't working. Let me like dive into it, and 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 kind of use the discovery process from your needs uh, as the basis for learning is is probably a good idea. One thing, actually, it's not front-end focus, but uh, so I have noticed that even though on the back-end, like, data-wise, you can, there's a lot of, like, similar services, and, and theoretically, you can move stuff between one cloud environment and another. It, the data, moving data around is more problematic. That, that's probably where you need to like to give a little bit more thought. And maybe Angular developers don't have to worry about that or something. Maybe there's a different team or something like that. But you know, among other things, you know, a lot of times the formats are not quite the same. You can always export data in a certain other form, middle ground format, and then re-import it. But then there's various issues along with that. So basically, you have to stream and keep them in sync. The two, the thing you want to go to and the thing where it's at for a little while. But also, like data transfer can be can get expensive if you, especially if you have like really big data sets. So even though I, I think at the application layer, with where we are at with cloud service offerings, you definitely should be able to architect things in a way that is very easy to move from one cloud service to another. Uh, I think on the data side, it, it's probably a little bit harder. Um, and and that's a that's a really good point um, in terms of moving things around. And I know that there's differences uh, in terms of pricing, that whether or not you move things around internally versus externally. Uh, so I, I appreciate thinking about those considerations. But one thing that is nice is again how Google's come a little bit later with um, bringing their level of service up with uh, other ones as you talked about earlier, is you get to learn from others. And I think that's a big thing. So not only are different cloud providers learning from each other. 
but as somebody from me who hasn't done a whole lot with this to be able to learn from people like you who probably did research with other people. So my question is what type of research have you done and what kind of materials have you either produced or found to enable other people to make uh, the educated decision? Because maybe it doesn't make sense to necessarily go with just a single provider, but maybe multiple providers dependent upon the better offering for what you're looking for. So do you have any resources for the research that you've done that you're able to share or? Yeah, so a couple things with that. So to answer your last question first, I learned most of my stuff when I drew studying for exams. Well, a combination of, I had to move a couple of our apps from AWS to GCP. Uh, as well as some of our clients' apps from AWS to GCP. And that I learned a ton, but then so just like doing it, right? Uh, but then also I wanted to get certified in both AWS and, and GCP for one of the uh, services that we're offering. We we're trying to become partners with uh, both AWS and Google Cloud. And part of the requirement is that you actually achieve a certain level, level of certification. And going through the certification process, which is pretty rigorous, you know, you have to know like 60 different services on each cloud and like all sorts. I mean, it's like you're you know, filling your overfilling your, your brain with all sorts of uh, information. Uh, th that encompasses a lot, which I wouldn't suggest for anyone. So I, that, I would not say that that's the way to do it. Uh, however, I have been uh, putting together, I haven't published it yet, but I've been putting together a distilled version of my learnings into a couple of blog posts that I think should be really valuable for this type of thing that you're talking about, Mike. And I think uh, should, I mean, that's that's the main goal is that I, I want to kind of like reduce down the most important parts um, it, you know, so that people can get started and, and get more familiar. So uh, hopefully I will have uh, that which you seek at some point in the kind of near future. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, cloud providers for dummies or the Cliffs Notes or however you want to put it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's also... What, what I really don't advocate is if you're trying to figure out performance or everything else, to go spend thousands of dollars and say, all right, I'm just going to blast this one for a while, then I'll evaluate by a blast and uh, another one too. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. I... I Smart research. Similar to, so this is, there's a lot of similarities between like the discussions we have with like Angular and React in that they're both good. There's just like differences and whatever else, but also related to this point of the, of the discussion, it doesn't make sense to become an expert in both for most people. Like I, I'm trying to do that, but I, I don't know, I've got something wrong with me, I guess. Uh, you, for most people, it makes sense to pick one and go deep. And I guess, my opinion more so is that for Angular developers, I, I think it makes sense to go deep on the, the GCP side more, more than the AWS. It, it, different things are different situations, just like with Angular React, like there's other environments where it makes sense to do the other. Obviously, if you have a huge AWS uh, you know, installation right now, like. I, I wouldn't suggest moving everything, although if you want to, you can uh, let me know about that and I can I can help out. But that isn't necessarily the smartest move if it's working. All right, cool, cool. All right, well, we're at the top of the hour, so we better wrap it up. Um, any last things on, on the Google Cloud or we want to do a couple picks? Anybody have any picks? I want to say thank you for sharing, first of all. Um, lots of great information uh, here about choices, options, uh, availability, and things to consider. So thank you, Jeff. No problem. Uh, yeah, and I have uh, one last thing and then my pick. But it, Mike, did you have to hit on the top of the hour? Did you want to give your pick? No, I'm, I'm good to stick around for a minute or two. OK. Um, so the one last thing really quick that we didn't talk about that I would suggest is for people looking into, like, so there's all sorts of cool things in the Google Cloud offerings. But one thing we didn't get to talk about that I'm really excited about is the AutoML auto service. Have you guys heard of this? Okay. No, I haven't heard of it. So both Google and Amazon have released higher level machine learning APIs. And those APIs are basically allow you to give it input either an image or a block of text 
for the, the big ones. I forget some of the other uh, higher level APIs they have. And then it gives you back information based off of their existing models. So like, for example, if you give it an image, it'll give you a whole bunch of tags like, okay, I think there's a cat in here and it's at night. And like, it, it's all pre-baked. So like, um, you know, it's not, it's not like you're, you're telling Google what to give you back. They just have their own model and they tell you what they think is in there. On the other side of things, you can use like something like TensorFlow, which is uh, basically your own software, open source software for building neural networks and to like build your own models. Uh, so if you wanted to, if you, you're using that same example, if you had your own thoughts of how an image should be categorized, you know, maybe you use that software and you can figure it out. AutoML is this awesome middle ground where it basically takes the pre-baked Google models that they have done a really good job at, you know, uh, using on billions of, of points of data, then way more than you and I could ever pull together. And you can basically customize it where you add, like let's say you had a bunch of pictures and you're trying to pick out who is an Angular developer based off of their, the look in their eye or, or maybe like the shirt they have or whatever. So like you basically want to feed in images and it to say, yes, this is an Angular developer, right? Google's API wouldn't do that by default, the higher level API. But using AutoML, you start off with their model, and then as long as you have like a data set uh, that of like a whole bunch of image which you have marked like, yes, this is an Angular developer, no, this is not, yes, it is, no, it's not, or whatever, and you feed it into AutoML, then it will adjust the pre-baked model to now your new model, and then a new endpoint, and you can just start using it. The reason why this is so awesome is that, I mean, it, it only affects for a few domains right now, like so image processing and text which is, you know, a lot of different uses you can have in your app. It just opens up a lot of doors. And, like, this is one of those things where, going back to the point I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, when you start thinking in terms of being a product developer, not just, you know, Angular technology, but you're, you're aware of everything that's going on in these cloud offerings, you start realizing how some of these services could potentially uh, benefit and, and, and make your product even better. And that, that's one that I think, you know, it's just relatively new, but I think within the next, like, year, many people are going to realize, like, how powerful that is, and, and I think it's going to be used in a lot of apps in the near future. Yeah, the great thing about that is that that's an example, right, of usage of machine learning. And so mm -hmm. now we hear a lot about it and we read a lot about what, what machine learning is out there, it's hot, it's what's going on, but when we see an example that implemented, now we can link that just like you said to now all of our brain starts firing of how can we use that in our software applications to solve something like you know users load up an image and we want to grab some stuff out of there and, and make it easier for them yeah for sure yeah so so we use it for um so imaging pro uh, identification is a big one or uh texts uh, classification is, is another very common one we use it on gethuman.com people enter like a big block of text and we determine whether that person is angry or if they need to, um, they have an ur urgent need and like a couple other things that we care about. And the default model was okay. And like, we tried to use it like months ago and it, it was moderately useful. But ever since we got AutoML and, and trained it on some of our custom data, like it's been working really well. That was very cool. Very cool. Uh, okay, and so pick. My, la my last thing, uh, sorry, so uh, I do want to throw a shout out to, uh, the reason why I get started on this journey, like looking into all this stuff, uh, was at uh, Get Human, we started offering a service to help people. Well, it started off using it internally, and then we did it for some of our partners, and then we offered it as a service, uh, this thing called Vendorsmith, that basically helps people uh, optimize their use of the cloud. So both in terms of, uh, you know, coming up with a plan, so that people, you know, it, it's not something that you have to execute on right away. It's that, you know, we do an assessment of, you know, how you're using your, uh, you know, what your current architecture is and how you're using the cloud right now. We come up with a plan of like, okay, over the course of the next six months or whatever your timeline is, here are some ideas of, of what you should do. And then if it makes sense and we see some uh, opportunity, we actually do negotiation with different clouds. One thing I didn't mention is that, because the um, right now the different cloud providers are like fighting over market share. 
Like there are still huge opportunities. Like you guys think that everybody is is using cloud services, but to be honest, it's not everybody. Like there's still a lot of people, you know, with a server in their home basement or just using like a v, you know Bluehost VPC or whatever else, and, and not using some of the the major cloud providers. So they're aggressively going after a lot of people. And if 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 it's something that you are building uh, something that is gonna expand with usage, especially you know in the in the short term, you have a lot of leverage to negotiate uh, a pretty good deal, even below the already like great prices. Um, you know if you kind of know how to to do that. So like you can certainly you I certainly recommend you. Do that yourself if, if you are going to, you either are planning on moving to a particular cloud for the first time or you're increasing your usage. Definitely try to talk to your agent and, and negotiate something. Or if you aren't uh, comfortable with doing that, you can go to vendorsmith.com and have us do that for you. Nice. All right. That's your pick? Yes. Okay, cool. Mike, you got a pick? Nope. All right. I got a pick. Um, so I'm picking, uh, angularconferences.com, uh, Todd Motto and the team at ultimate angular put this thing out, uh, lists all these conferences worldwide for the angular community. Looks pretty cool. Looks like there's a lot of information there. So that's, uh, that's my pick for the week. It could be yours pick too, Mike. We'll share it. All right. Conferences.com. There you go. <laughs> all right, cool. Hey, Jeff, thanks a lot for coming on, taking the time, sharing your information. We really appreciate it. No problem. Love being here. We love having you. We look forward to the next time. All right. Take it easy. We'll see you later.